Pat? Um, I just thought it was wonderful how she explained a testimony, which I won't go into, um, how she said she took on looking at everything through a wide, wide lens yeah. and to look out to others and not just your own life. Thank you. Thanks, Pat. Thank you very much. Um, uh, Joyce mentioned the Freedom in Christ course, which um, we will be running again, hopefully, in the near future. I think those who were on it generally had it, found it very helpful. So we're going now to uh, a reading and sermon. Neil is going to come and do that. I'm only normally allowed to speak in the mornings at family services. And after seeing that, you might think there's probably a very good reason. <laughs> it's great doing the family services. You can do all sorts of creative things. You can play clips of pop songs. You can even throw chocolates out to the congregation when they get the answers to questions correct. Now, that's got you interested, hasn't it? That made me think, why can't we do the same at evening services? Okay, so it would be great if you could turn to today's Bible passage, which is shown on the slide there. Not just for the chance of winning chocolates, teenagers, but also to follow the talk, of course. Um, now, before I have the reading, how, the first question, how many times was the word love mentioned in that clip that I just played? Any ideas? Call some numbers out and you might just win a prize. Seven, no. Le no. Fifteen is close. Sixteen. Sixteen is in the wrong direction from fifteen. 14. Very good. Well, well done. Okay. That may or may not be relevant to the next question. Let's read together from 1 John, chapter 4. It's a really long reading. I apologise um, if you don't like the sound of my voice. And I wish I brought my reading glasses because I thought someone else was going to do this. Um, sorry? Oh, thank you. It's page 1160 in the Church Bibles. 1160. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world that we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If we say we love God and yet hate a brother or sister, we are liars. For if we do not love a fellow believer whom we have seen, then we cannot love God whom we have not seen. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love one another. It's from the start of chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So, a really long reading, but what a fantastic reading. Now, we had 14 mentions of the word love in that clip from the Beatles. There were some mentions of the word love in this passage. Was anybody counting? I have a 30, I have a 26, I have a 31. 21. Were you paying attention? No, there's a lot more than 21. There's chocolates on the go here, guys, come on. How many? 35. Well, 35 is a really good guess. You can have the whole box of chocolates for that. (laughs) Including the purple one I wanted to keep because they're my favourites. But as as an act of of love, you can share them with your brothers and sisters around you. Um, The actual answer, if you'd really been concentrating, is 32. Unless you get a big fancy high-tech commentary out and it says that there's two times when it says, Dear... Friends, and actually that means beloved friends, so it's 34. 34, that's more than the Beatles could have crammed, even in their hippie-ish extremes, into such a clip. Incredible. I think you probably accept then that this passage talks about love. A lot. Now, let's just have a little refresher before we go into look, look at it into any more detail on uh, the last few weeks, because we've been looking through the whole of 1 John, of course. So we uh, go on to the next slide. The story so far, then, in John. We've had some really good talks from Matt, uh, Tessa, and Pauline. John is writing this letter 
He's in a group of Christians where there's already been a bit of a damaging split. And he's writing it to one or more other groups uh, of, of Christians that he's in, in connection with, probably in some sort of authority over, um, about some things that he thinks are really important. So these things have already been covered in the letter. He wants them to believe the right things. And that's because some people were denying that Jesus was, was both God and man. I think it was Matt who talked about that earlier. He wants them to be obedient. For some people were arguing that the, it was only spiritual things that mattered. Uh, physical sin didn't really matter at all, what people did physically. And he wanted them to be loving. For it seems that uh, some of the divisions that had been creeping into that group of Christians had led to a feeling of strong hatred, one group against another. So that's the story so far. Now we come to look at this passage, and I uh, agree it was a long passage. You could actually kind of split it up. He kind of revisits the themes again. He talks about love, love and belief, and then love, belief, and obedience. Have you ever noticed how the letters in the Bible are written in a way that's very different from a lot of modern writing? Or if you ever watch a modern document, a documentary on TV? then these, these modern works, they kind of play on the idea of, um, build on the idea of scientific thought, the thing that's been going on and building up over the last 300 years. They kind of establish, over here, step A, and make that seem, you know, believable, plausible. Then they'll come over here and they'll build, they establish what you might think of step B. And then they come over here and you get your big C, conclusion. And it's logical, you go from this to this to this. It's all crystal clear. But in the Bible, it doesn't often seem to take these logical steps. It's a lot like some of the... A lot of ancient Jewish writers were, were, writings were like that. Greek writings were like that. Roman writings were like that. They used to do th- go, go around in circles. They'd talk about something and all the different factors, and go around in a circle. Then they'd kind of have a breath. And then they'd go talk about all these factors, and now they relate to each other again. And then sometimes they'd do it all again. And... This is definitely what's happening in 1 John, if you've been following this series of talks. Um, so I've already said, so far he's talked about love and belief and obedience. And then this section that we've talked about today that we just read, it's the same again. I'm going to split it up into these three sections. Love, which is uh, chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Love and belief, the next section from 13 to 21. And then he does love, belief and obedience. And as he goes through each of these three sections, round in his, his circle, the way they like to write back then, he does a couple of things. He assures us that we are already God's children. So if you're wondering about that and feeling a bit unassured of that today, you've come to the hopefully the right talk, certainly the right Bible passage, because he wants to assure us that we're, we are children of God. And there are instructions on how to live as God's children as well. Um, oh, and finally, much as I love the Beatles, I'm afraid this shows that the Beatles got it wrong. All you need is not love. You need love and belief and obedience. At least those three things. So, let's have a think then about this first section, verses 7 to 12. Um, feel free to follow it in your Bibles as well, just checking up on what I, what I say. It's absolutely true that God loves everyone. He loves those who already believe in him. He loves those who don't yet believe in him. 
And it's absolutely true that we, all of us, should love everyone. Those who already believe in God and those who don't. But this passage is actually very specific. It's not just talking in this most general sense about loving everyone. It's talking about love within the Christian family. Three times in, in the, uh, this passage we see the phrase, let us love one another. So he's talking to the group of Christians, let us love one another. It's in verses 7, 11 and 12. Even later he goes on to say, um, we must love our brothers and sisters and love for the children of God. So when you think about this, just this first short section on love, um, I found John Stott's commentary re- really helpful on this. Um, he said we should love one another, another because of, for three reasons. They're almost like different time aspects to them, these three re- reasons. One about something eternal, one about something historic, and one about something present. Okay? So let's think first about the eternal thing, God's eternal nature. In verse 8, and again in this passage, it says that God is love. I'm sure we've all heard that phrase. Now, this is definitely not the same as saying love is God, thank goodness. Uh, If that were true, then God or our idea of God would change every time our feelings of love changed. So he's not saying love is God. God is love. It's not even the same as saying Love is just one of the things that God does, just one of his characteristics, one of his activities. It's actually really, really fundamental. Um, I think it's probably more fundamental than any of us can fully appreciate. But what it seems to be saying is that everything about God and everything God does is consistent with him being a God of love. I'll say that again. I'm quoting John Stott there, as well, it's a great phrase from him. Everything that God does and says is consistent with him being a God of love. If we move on to the next section, the historic aspect of this, God's historic gift. Well, in verses 9 and 10, we see an echo of the famous John chapter 3, verse 16. Here in our passage it says, God sent his one and only son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Atoning is kind of um, making restitution for something, paying back, putting it right for something that's gone wrong. This great act of God, it's rooted in history. It's recorded by early historians and attested to by the fact that the early Christians who saw Jesus' death and resurrection went on to turn the world upside down, no disregard for their own lives. And it was a costly gift to God too. It was made to undeserving, unworthy people who had rejected him. If God loves us this much, how much ought we to love one another? So we talked about the, the eternal aspect the historic aspect. What about God's present activity? In verse 12, it says, if we love one another, God lives in us. Present tense, God lives in us. Mind-blowing. Now, we look at this and passage, other things in 1 John, the rest of the New Testament. It's not saying um, that loving one another is the mechanism by which God lives in us. No, we're, we, as we're going to see shortly, God lives in us. We're born of God, 
through belief, belief in Jesus. What verse 12 means is loving one another is evidence of the fact that God really does live in us. So having this kind of love is evidence that we're saved and it's something that we're instructed to have. So again, you see this aspect of John is assuring people you are saved. Here it's the love is the evidence that you are saved. And again he's saying, yeah, and it's something you should be doing, something we should be doing. I'll just digress for a minute. You don't have to put your hands up, but I wonder. Um, actually, no, it, it, you can put your hands up if you want to answer this. You don't have to. I wonder how many people here became Christians, at least in part because they saw the love that some Christians had for other Christians. I would definitely put myself in that, in that group. Um, definitely played a part in my own conversion. As a 15-year-old, I won't say many years ago, when I started going to a youth club, church youth club, just because I enjoyed table tennis and it was virtually free to play table tennis there, I noticed something really different in the lives of the Christians who ran this youth club. And that was instrumental in, in waking me up to the idea that, that, that you know, that, that there was some, that, that God had an interest in me because I saw the love that the Christians had for other people. And that just makes me wonder, perhaps it should make us all wonder, do our lives leave people wanting to know more about Jesus? So that finishes the sec- that first section, which you can kind of summarise is about God is love. And the next section... Um, if, you, if you're following it in your Bibles, verses 13 to 21. It's a bit different because John now starts to weave something else into this big kind of circular narrative that he's got going. Alongside love, he weaves in the ideas of belief. He says, and, I mean, it's a long passage, we have, we, people, people take weeks going through this whole thing, so we're going to whiz through it. He says, we are to believe a number of things. We are to believe that the Father sent the Son. We should believe that Jesus, the Son, is the Saviour of the world. And if we acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, if we show that belief, then not only will we have confidence on the day of judgment that's coming, but we will receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is described elsewhere in the Bible as a sign and a seal like those stamps that kings used to put on parchment, a seal of our salvation. And the Holy Spirit also works powerfully in our lives, bringing a harvest of the fruit of the Spirit. We sang that fantastic song, my favourite children's song this morning, the fruit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And the first segment of that fruit is love. So that kind of weaves the tapestry as well. He's talking about belief in the Spirit, and the Spirit brings love. And that he's developed this idea then as he weaves this tapestry with strands of love. We are to rely on God in God's love. He says we are to live in love. To love because he first loved us. And again, to love our Christians, Christian brothers and sisters. So just as in that section on love, he was talking about assurance and, and actually what we should do. He's doing the same again here. We have received the Holy Spirit. We, if we acknowledge Jesus, then we have confidence on the day of judgment, we can be assured we are saved. Oh, and these are the things we've got to do. Before we leave this section, and kind of thinking back to when I was 15 and became a Christian in that youth club, and someone stood up at the front of a meeting, started talking, 
I'd just like to hear, sorry, I'd just like to speak to anyone here who has not yet made a step of acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God, of asking him to be their saviour, of knowing that love is a daily reality in their lives, of being filled with God's Holy Spirit, these things this passage talks about. If you're thinking about that, maybe you've seen that, some of that love in the, lives of other, in the lives of Christians you know, maybe not. I would say do it, do it tonight. Talk to a Christian friend who you've come with, if you've come with what, someone else. Talk to Eric or someone from the prayer ministry team at the end. Talk to me. Let them know that you're ready for Jesus to be your saviour. It will be the greatest day of your life. If we move on to the last section... The tapestry gets richer still. A third thread is woven in. Obedience. This section, first five verses of chapter five, starts and ends with belief. Verse one says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Then at the last two verses, talk again of being born of God, of having faith believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Nested within those brackets at the beginning and the end of the passage, we see the new threads. Well, we've got the, sorry. Nested within that, we've got a reference first to God loving, uh, to God's love, to loving God the Father, loving Jesus the Son, and loving children of God. And then the new bit in verses 2 and 3. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. These verses echo words uh, from John's Gospel, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And John has already addressed the theme of obedience earlier in this letter. Do you remember we talked about he goes around in a circle talking about these themes, then he goes back, moves on and talks about them all again. He's already taught earlier about obedience in chapter 2 when he's warning about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And when he said, we know we have come to know him if we keep his commands. So he's weaving together love and belief and obedience. And again, for the third time in this section, in this passage we've looked at today, he was saying, He says, this is how we know we are saved. This is how we know we are children of God. And this is what we are to do. And he's saying these things about love, belief, and obedience. But what's perhaps surprising here in chapter 5, these first five verses, at least it was a bit for me, is that he equates love with obedience. Aren't they quite different things? I, I must admit, I, that's always been kind of what I've thought. So feel free with me to disagree with me now on this next section, because uh, it's a bit more my idea than anything that's clearly expressed in the Bible. Okay, but I'm going to share it with you as a kind of theory, because it's um, or a way of thinking about things. So it's something I found helpful, uh, and it might for you. If it does, great. If it doesn't, that's okay too. Right now, hopefully. This is readable. Good. So we've got this picture. We've got a horizontal axis labelled God is holy. 
we are to obey. We've got a vertical axis labelled, God is love, we are to love. And on top of this, we've got a kind of two-by-two grid. Now, my kind of theory, my idea, is that some of us, just really by virtue of our personalities, maybe our background or whatever, are drawn naturally in the upward direction. You know, we have a preference for thinking about God is love and and that we should love people. But I also have this feeling that some of us are, by nature of our personalities, our backgrounds, whatever it is, drawn more naturally in this horizontal direction, thinking about God is holy, we are to obey. So where do we see ourselves on this? Well, as a simple, in this sort of simple picture, my, what, I, I, what I think is that most of us are either in this top left box or the bottom right box. Then those who are drawn to uh, think about God is love and we should love, you kind of think of them in that top box that I've labelled very subtly love. And the bottom right one, obey, if you kind of think more about God and oh, he's so holy and perfect, we just have to be obedient to him. When you think that maybe some Christians are in one box, some in another. I I, I think this actually fits in uh, with, um, affects us in lots of ways. First of all, I've talked about me becoming a Christian before. Um, I think it affects how a lot of us come to to faith. Um, Are we drawn to the idea of relationships? If we are, relationships with God, with others. If so, we're probably naturally being drawn into the love box thinking about God is love and I need to love. Are we being drawn to the, by the idea of kind of doing the right thing? It's quite ingrained in some people. Got to do the right thing. Make the proper response to a holy God. If there is a holy God up there, well, I, I've got to obey him. If, the, if that's true, then you probably come to faith in, in the obey box. I think also this can affect our priorities. Our priorities for life what we're thinking about maybe this week, for what we want to do with our lives, maybe what we think the church's priorities should be. Okay? It's not unknown for Christians to have different views about what the church's priorities should be. And finally, I think it can even affect the way we look at other Christians. I'll have to answer this out loud, but how do you think people in the love box if I can call it that, look at those in the obey box. Is it always sympathetically? How do people in the obey box look at people in the love box? Is that always as sympathetic as it could be? Now, I think you might be able to guess where, where this is going. Um, but first I'm going to ask you, where, don't answer, I don't put your hands up, where most naturally do you see yourself? Well, John was writing, writing his letter something like 1,700 years before people made diagrams like this. But I do wonder if he had something a bit, in, a bit like this picture in mind because I think what he's kind of getting at in his letter is what we see on this next picture. That those who naturally focus on the holiness of God and the need to obey need to learn to love more. We have 34 mentions of the word love in this passage. And those who naturally focus on the love of God and our need to love others, John is saying to them, this is love for God, to keep his commands. 
So if we're in the love box, we should be thinking about moving over. If we're in the obey box, we should be thinking about moving up. Love and obey. So John's woven this tapestry of belief, obedience and love in this, this long section. And it, goes, it kind of goes around in circles, but these great themes come out. But we're saved by belief in God, and we can be assured of that salvation. And once we are saved, what should be our driving characteristics? We could do worse than to think that there should be love and obedience. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for all that today's passage has said to us about belief, love, and obedience. Pray for anyone here who is on the edge of acknowledging that you are the Son of God of asking you to be their saviour. Pray you would reveal your love and holiness to them, that they would do the right thing, would come to you and put their trust in you. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that you would help us to love you, to love our Christian brothers and sisters, to love all those we meet with the same kind of unconditional, sacrificial love you showed to us. Help us also, Lord, to obey all your commands in the power of your spirit and for the sake of your glory and out of love for you and love for others. Amen.